Bibles with you, turn to Psalm chapter 15. Psalm chapter 15. If you find your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own herd and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Christmas time. I thank you for the celebration that we have with our friends and our family and our co-workers and schoolmates. The time where we remember the birth of Jesus. God, I thank you for this gathering of your people today. As I know that there are many people across this country and around the world who are celebrating the birth of Christ. Lord, we would pray that you would come back today. But there are so many that don't know you yet. And I pray, Lord, that your children would be about your business, laboring in the fields to bring many people to salvation. Help us now as we go through your word. God, I pray that you would work on our hearts and on our minds and even on our very soul through the strength and power of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 15, just five verses. We'll be out of here in 10 minutes, right? No, uh, that's not how it works. Uh, so here we go in verse 1. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Uh, you know, Moses got to go up on the top of the mountain to be with the Lord. But God's design was that everybody would be in his presence. Why didn't that happen? It's because they were terrified. They were too afraid to approach the Lord. All the lightning, the rumbling, the, the loud voice, they just couldn't stand it. So they said, you go for us. You know, you, and, and churches do that. They'll, they'll get a man, they say, you go before the Lord for us and you pray. Uh, and all of us will just hang back where it's safe. But as born-again believers, we're supposed to boldly approach the throne of God. We're supposed to spend time with our Heavenly Father. And sometimes we're too busy doing the things that are not pleasing to Him. And because of that, we feel like we have to isolate ourselves from Him. I want you to be able to tabernacle with God. To spend time with Him personally. You don't have to have a mediator between you and God except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And so here it says, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? For that I want to turn to Psalm chapter 24. And I want to look at this of uh, just a few verses, Psalm 24, 3 through 5. It says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? And the response to that question is, he that hath clean hands. Well, after the pandemic, my hands are so clean, sometimes they get raw. You know, you just, you put some of that uh, alcohol on them, you put hand sanitizer, you wash them, and still they don't feel clean sometimes. And I've gotten to where now, as, as a health care provider, you know, you go into some of these places and you shake hands with people and you, you look at your hand and you won't touch anything until you can put something on them to clean it up. That's not what this is talking about. Getting your hands clean from bloodshed has to do with praying and asking God to forgive you of your sins. We know that our germs on our hands are invisible, right? Well, sometimes we think our sins are invisible too. And if we don't confess our sins, if we don't agree with God that a sin is a sin, 
It's hard to get that sin put under the blood of Christ so that God can treat us as if we had never sinned before. A person that says they have no sin is a liar. The truth is not in them. That's what the Bible says. But I've even known preachers that said, oh, you don't have to confess your sins anymore. It's all been taken care of. And I get to watch those same individuals fall into moral decay. The only way you uphold your morality is if you hold up the mirror of Christ and say, have I attained to that level of perfection yet? And if you haven't, you probably have some things to confess. Most of the time, instead, we look around at our neighbors and say, well, I'm better than them, and I'm better than them, and I'm better than them. I should be fine. They're not your standard. Jesus is. So until you've reached that standard, you're going to have to confess a few things. So you have to have clean hands. You also have to have a pure heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. How many of y'all in the last year have said something that you wish you wouldn't have said? Some of y'all this morning. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't last very long. You know, we'll confess up, we'll be prayed up, and we'll say, God, please forgive me. And then we'll go out, and the very thing that we ask him to forgive us of, we go right back into Why do we do that? It's just like washing a pig. You go back into that wall, back into that mud. you got to have a pure heart. And uh, <coughs> this world say, just follow your heart. And the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. That if you follow the desires of your heart, uh, it'll lead you to death. But alternatively, if you will please the Lord, seek after Him and seek His righteousness, if you'll do what honors Him, the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. Now how is that possible? It's because when you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, he can add everything to you that you desire because your desires change. How many of y'all prayed one time, God, give me that boy over there or give me that girl over there or give me that house or give me that car or give me that job and you're asking for things that the Lord doesn't want for you because he knows the end result of you getting the thing that you're asking for. My kids, they ask for a puppy. Oh, and I will take care of it, and I will walk it, and I will feed it, and I'll do all that stuff. And I said, I'm walking these dogs in one degree weather, and none of them are actually mine. The end result of us getting some of the things that we ask God for are not pleasant. And so many times we don't receive the things that we ask for. Because he knows. He knows how to produce the best results. you got to have a pure heart. It says, Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Sometimes we do things just to be seen by others. How many people will get a Christmas gift today so that they can flaunt a logo in front of their friends or their coworkers? If they ask for something that costs X amount of dollars. I've, I've heard about these Air Jordan shoes, you know, that people get. Or Lululemon shorts for boys. There's all kinds of stuff that people ask for. It's not that these are bad things, but we lift up our soul to vanity because we want the world to recognize us as being people who are affluent, who, who are rich, who have a good reputation. And the only person that you should be concerned about your reputation in front of is the Lord your God. Because if you seek to please Him, He'll give you everything else you need. But if you seek all that other stuff, it's going to strip from you your very soul. You say, but these are just things. Yes, and you are lifting up your soul to that vanity instead of worshiping your one true God. Some people swear deceitfully. You can't swear deceitfully and spend time with God. He's not going to allow it. Verse 5, it says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord if you do these right things and the righteousness from the God of His salvation. So that's what we want. We want to be blessed by God because, let's face it, if somebody blesses us and God doesn't bless us, 
All those things that we attain in life could be stripped away in a moment. They're temporary. You ever heard this? You can't take it with you. There's no U-Haul behind a hearse. You, you've heard those expressions that when you die, somebody else is going to get all your wealth. <coughs> but a blessing that comes from the Lord is eternal. So you should seek out those eternal blessings from Him rather than the temporary things of this world. Righteousness from the God of His salvation. Being able to judge rightly is one of the most important things in your life. Being a righteous judge. Going back to uh, Psalm chapter 15 verse 2. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Does that sound familiar? I mean some of these psalms are repeating themselves. And this is a psalm of David. But to look at speaking truth in your heart, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20. It says... But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the, the deceitful lust. I can remember tricks I played on people, things that I did that were wrong. Uh, the way that I used to think about people and things and situations. And... Let's face it, some of you are really good at manipulating others. Some of you are really good liars. Some of you are terrible at it. Um, you know, you just have different things that are in the old way of life that you might have been really good at. Some of y'all use curse words fluently, like it's just you're really fluent in those things. And, and some of you can whittle people down with your tongue and you can make them feel like they're nothing. I mean, some of you can gossip with the best of them and make up stories on the fly and people don't even know you're lying about that other person. The old person that you used to be is the part that you have to put away. Some of you are good at doing underhanded business and you can take control of other people's possessions, their property, because you're so good at figuring out loopholes and robbing people legally. Just because you have the ability to do some of these evil and wicked and deceitful things doesn't mean that you should put those into practice. Putting off the old person You've got to learn to put on the new person that Christ redeemed you to be. And so he says here in Ephesians chapter 4. Put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And, and, and when you think about it. Think about the way that Satan talked to Jesus during his temptation. I will give you this if you'll worship me. I'll, you know, surely God won't allow you to dash your foot upon a stone if you throw yourself down. If I can end your life, then that stops this whole process. Go ahead and make yourself bread out of these stones. No problem there, right? Just use your miracles to serve yourself. It's corrupt. Verse 3 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, how do you do that? You wash it with the Word of God. There's plenty of filth coming into your ears all day long, everywhere you go. It, it happens at work. It happens by the television, by a book that you read. It happens all over the place. The people that you hang around with, your company, bad company, will corrupt good morals. The only way that you can renew the spirit of your mind is by reading the Word of God and getting it into your mind and into your heart so that you don't sin against God. Because the world will give you advice that is the opposite of what God would have you to do. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So that new man you put on is just like me putting on a tie and a nice coat, you know. Uh, I'm covering up the things that are underneath. Because sometimes we're ashamed and embarrassed of what's underneath. But when we have the righteousness of Christ clothing us, we can ascend into the hill of the Lord. We can go to the marriage supper of the Lamb with the proper clothes on. You put on the new man which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. But isn't that hypocrisy? No, it's not. 
No, it's not. For you to do the things that your father asks you to is not hypocrisy. They may not be the things that you want to do, but you surrender yourself to his will. And it goes back to that story, that parable, where he said, you know, a father had two sons, and he turned to the first one, he said, go work in my field. And the first one said, I ain't going to do it. He didn't want to. And the second one, you know, you know how we do. I mean, if I tell one kid to go get me something out of the other room, the other one tries to get there first. So that second one said, I'll do it, Dad. And then later on, guess what happened? That first son he turned to repented. He realized that what his father asked him to do was what he was supposed to do, and so he dropped his will and did the will of the father. And the second son that bragged about going and doing it did nothing. Now which one of those two sons did the will of the father? The one who put on righteousness rather than the one who said he was going to do what was right and did the opposite. Alright, so wherefore put away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And, um, you know, you may be really good at lying. Uh, you may be terrible at it. But when you come across your neighbors, you're supposed to be speaking the truth to them. And it says we are members one of another. So when you lie to your neighbor, it's as good as lying to yourself. You are a part of a community. No person is an island. Everything that you say and do actually becomes an influence on you. And so if you go around spreading lies, it builds a shaky foundation for your community. What happens when you have a politician that stands up and says all kinds of lies and things that they know that they're not going to do? And then they get into office, and what happens? A lot of corruption, a lot of hardship, and the community starts to fall apart around you. You can look at some of the communities and cities across this nation. One of the results I have personally is when we moved down to New Orleans after Katrina. And there's a big debate as to what happened, what caused this city to flood the way that it did. And they came up with, we gave them lots of money and they took it and used it for their own personal wealth. And they let all the things that would stop this from flooding fall into disrepair. There are big cities across this country that you can look at that are falling into the same situation. People who lie to their neighbors to get a position or a job and then everybody suffers because they do not do what they say they're going to do. All right, so we have to speak truth with one another. Verse 3 of Psalm chapter 15. It says, He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. And uh, I'm going to go backwards in the Bible for this, for Leviticus 19, uh, verses 16 through 18. And this is just kind of give you a model of what the, the Hebrew people were supposed to do when they got into their country. They were all supposed to treat each other with love, kindness, and respect. And he was trying to set up this governmental system. It's not just a list of rules or laws or a religion. And we forget that sometimes because our religion is separate from our government in the United States. But for the Hebrew people, it was supposed to be the same. They were supposed to have a religion and a government that were coupled together. And so in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer amongst thy people. How many people do you know that if you want something told, you just tell them? I mean, can you think of somebody in your mind right now that if you want something told, you just accidentally let them overhear it and the whole world will know before you get home? Don't go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, that's repeated by Jesus in the New Testament, but the reason I'm going backwards into Leviticus is so that you can see the purpose of God was that people would love their neighbors and look after one another. As you love yourself, how much grace do you give yourself when you fail to keep a diet 
How much grace do you give when you fail to do the right thing? Most often, we will overlook the flaws of those that we love the most. It's like a grandparent with a grandchild. When you look at your own life and how your parents raised you, and then you see how they treat your children, you say, now what gives? Because you'll let my kids away with stuff that I never, ever, ever would have gotten away with. How is this possible that you are the same person? Mama's moved in with us, you know. And, and now she gets to, to kind of walk that fine line between grandparent and adult who wants peace in the house. We'll see how that goes. You'll see that all through the Bible, God said, I want you to love your neighbor and treat them well. And we're really bad at it. We have neighbors around us. They don't know our names. They don't know anything about us. And if they needed something, they, they'd be afraid to knock on our door. We're really bad at loving our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. And if we're going to fulfill what the Bible says as Christians, we're going to have to get out of our shell a little bit and learn to love our neighbors. It's not always easy. In fact, it's very difficult sometimes. But I guarantee you that you're not always easy to love. And yet you continue to love yourself enough to feed yourself, clothe yourself, provide yourself with shelter, and even give yourself forgiveness and grace when you fail. So learning to love your neighbors that way, if you haven't done it yet, as a Christian, hold up the mirror of Christ to your life and see if you meet his standard of perfection. If not, you have something to repent of and something you should be focused on in the days ahead. All right, verse four, it says, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So there's vile people that you come across. And yes, you're supposed to love your neighbor, but there's also people who are doing wicked and evil things that you're not supposed to praise them for what they're doing. You're not supposed to exalt wicked people. You're not supposed to honor them. You're not supposed to bow down to them. And in some cases, it could even get you killed if you don't pay proper respect to people. So we're going to look at Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see an example in the Bible of a vile person that somebody who was righteous refused to honor. Uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So Haman is in a position of high honor. Certainly everybody should honor him because the king has exalted him so high. Look at verse 2. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. So here's a picture. Let's say we're out here on the front steps, and all of a sudden Haman comes up, and everybody on the front steps just bows down to him and makes their head lower than his except for one person. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reference. <laughs> he refused. Now, I don't know what interaction that Mordecai had with Haman before this, but Mordecai knew his character, and he didn't care how high the king exalted him. He knew that that was an evil, wicked, and vile person. And we're going to see evidence before we leave this passage of Scripture. Verse 3, it says, Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgresseth thou the king's commandment? You're not bowing down to this man that the king exalted? Mordecai said, I sure am not. I don't care if the king kills me. I refuse to honor that vile person. Verse 4, Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him. So it didn't just happen once, it was day after day after day. And he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. 
So after he refused over and over and over, they finally pointed out to Haman and said, hey, this man ain't going to bow down to you. He's a Jewish person. He doesn't bow down to anybody but God. Verse 5. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Now you would think that if a person was full of wrath, that he would just deal with it between him and Haman. That he would force Haman in prison, or that he would make him bow down. But that's not what he does. Here's the evidence that he was a vile person. The evidence is in verse 6. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Think Hitler. Because that's what he does. So when the Bible tells you not to pay homage to somebody who is vile, and a Hitler arises among you, you should rather die than honor that man. We honor our King Jesus. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, if you want to stand and not stumble, if you don't want to trip and fall down, you have to show vile people contempt. That's hard for some of us to do because we are people pleasers. We can't stand to let anybody think that we're not going to pay respect to them. But there's some people you cannot pay homage to. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Sometimes you make a promise and uh, you have to fulfill it even though it hurts. Verse 5. He that putteth not out his money to usury nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And so this whole psalm is trying to tell you how you can live your life without stumbling, how you can not fall down on your way. When it says you shall not be moved, it's not saying that you'll stay in one place all the time. It means that as you are going and things are bumping into you, trying to knock you over, that they will not succeed against you. Because you will have a firm foundation. It makes me think back to my high school football days where they would put these two things on either side and they'd put a guy over there, they'd put me over here, and then somebody would try to run in between those things with the ball. And if you were strong enough and tough enough, it would not matter. You would run through there with that ball and nobody could knock you over or tackle you. But if you weren't big enough and you weren't strong enough, one of those boys was going to try to knock your head off. I was one of those boys. They put me on one side, and I don't know if you know Brandon Brooks. Look him up. He looks like the Incredible Hulk. They put him on the other side. And we would go wrestling with each other. And then my poor old little cousin, Josh Jones, he told me about this recently. He said, they put that ball in my hand tell me to run through there. Both of y'all was in the middle of that thing wrestling with each other. And sure enough, one of us would grab a hold of him and slam him to the ground. That was our job, to destroy him. And we liked it. We had a good time doing it. Had a headache after it was over. But that's what we did. This world is designed like that. You have your day of your birth and your day of your death, and you're running in between there trying not to get tackled. Because every time you get tackled, it hurts. I've been tackled. It does not feel good. You've been through grief. You've been through loss. You've been through death. Some of you have been through divorce. You've been through some of these trials and hardships of life. And it feels like you get knocked down and the wind gets knocked out of you. But if you're in this room, you've made it. You've made it through those things. And this psalm is trying to teach you and tell you how you can stand firm. Now, when I started playing football, I was kind of weak. I was in ninth grade. I, I had not run a whole lot. I was kind of big around, so it was hard for people to get around me. But uh, other than that, I wasn't very strong. 
But from ninth grade all the way up to my junior year in high school, I lifted weights and I ran and I got strong and I got faster, I got taller, and it made a big difference. When I quit football my junior year during spring training, they sat me down they said, now when you started, you weren't worth nothing. But now we've made you into a football player and we want you to play on both sides of the ball. I said, I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm finished with this. I went home and I told mama I wanted to break it into her before I tried to tell daddy. And mama's words gave me all the confidence in the world for me to tell my dad because when I said, mama, I quit football today, she looked at me and she said, son, I prayed for you to quit football today. You know what a difference praying mama makes? If I'd have been playing football, I definitely wouldn't be in the ministry today. Because it was an idol and a god to many of those boys. And there were lots of girls that were entertained by those boys. I've been chasing them girls instead of following Jesus. He that putteth not out his money to usury. You know these uh, checking the cash and title loans and all these places throughout town? That's usury. That's when they make a loan to somebody and then they charge them about 18, 20, 30, 45% interest. I don't know. It's so high that it's outrageous. And they're robbing people blind and they're taking poor people that are desperate and they're offering them money up front and they're making them slaves to that debt. So much so that eventually they just have to declare bankruptcy. If you want to be a righteous person and you lend to people, don't charge them excessive interest. Don't be that person. If you want to follow after the Lord, you can loan to people. But you should almost make it free. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. Sometimes there's a reward out there and you say, well, he did it. Now give me the reward money. You take that money and the person didn't even do it. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. I want to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning verse 3. It says, according as his divine power hath given, us, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So I told you, you've got to get rid of corruption and you've got to take on the divine nature. You, in order to ascend unto the hill of the Lord, to dwell with the Lord, you have to be more like Jesus and less like you were when you were born. That's a process. That's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Many of you are saved and born again. That's quick. Birth doesn't take long. But growing up, getting strong, growing in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man, that's what they said of Jesus. He grew in wisdom. You've got to learn something. He grew in stature. You've got to become strong. Strong enough that if you fast, you won't faint. You've got to grow in favor with God. How do you grow in His favor? You learn what He requires of you and you do it. And then you learn to grow in favor with other people. And that's really difficult. Because people are people everywhere you go. And they say any job would be good if you didn't have to deal with people. And in order for you to love God, it should be easy because He's perfect. But I tell you, as perfect as my wife is and as perfect as I am, loving each other takes work. Say amen, Jody. That's right. She said amen. You know why? Because we've been together 19 years as a married couple. And anybody that's been married long at all knows that marriage is more work than butterflies. So, loving God should be easy. He's perfect. 
Any mistake between you and him, it's you. You know to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Between two people, that line gets blurred. Both of you can be wrong, believe it or not. Both of you can owe each other an apology. But sometimes stubbornness won't allow you to apologize. Because all you can see sometimes is the wrong in the other person. So what is this saying here in 2 Peter? You've got to put away that old nature. You've got to live with the divine nature. It says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now, I want to skip to the end of this and we'll come back because it says here that at the end, you're going to have brotherly kindness and charity. You're going to end up with love for people. You're not going to love people right off. Let me just tell you that. As a born-again believer, there's going to be some people that rub you the wrong way. But if you want to get to the end of this list and love people that you would not normally love to love your enemies, you're going to have to work through this list. It takes time. It takes sanctification. It takes the process of discipleship. You may be a born-again believer that never grew. And how sad it would be to sit in church all of your life without working through this list. So you start with faith. Oh, I've got faith in the Lord. All right, he wants you to be virtuous. So you go out and you do virtuous things. You try to take care of little old ladies and you try to take care of orphans and you, you, you try to bless other people. You, you do virtuous things. And then it says after virtue, you're going to have to add knowledge. Now some people hate knowledge. I hated knowledge when I was growing up because I didn't know how to read very well. Uh, they had changed the school system a little bit and, and I struggled all through school just to learn to read. But now that I'm an adult, I crave knowledge. I want more and more and more of it. You have to get to that point. It doesn't just happen. Kind of like vegetables when I was a kid. Mm -mm. Now as an adult, I think I need some of that stuff in my life. So, you have to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, patience. How many of y'all have had your patience tested over this holiday season? Tried to shop or drive through traffic or deal with your children? I mean, who knows? Deal with your in-laws, whatever it is. I mean, patience is something that you have to work on. It doesn't just happen. It takes time. This morning, we had to tell one of our daughters, we got five of them, one of them to blow dry their hair. And they came out time and time again and would say, no, it's not done. It takes patience. You have to keep working at it until it's completely done. It's too cold outside to walk around with wet hair. Go back and try again. Patience. All right, so you add to patience. What? Godliness. It's hard for us to do the godly thing sometimes. To do what's right and good. Because sometimes the first thing that comes to our mind is not the godly thing. Somebody cuts us off at McDonald's. There's two lanes merging into one and you're supposed to be the next one to go and they zoom in front of you. What's your first instinct? Probably not the godly one. Or maybe, let's say it's the same line and there's somebody behind you and they're honking at you and they're being rude and they're just upset. You can tell they're in a hurry and you get up to that window and say, Whatever their bill is, let me pay it. And so you drop on up and you get your food and you take off and you don't say anything about it. What does that do in their mind when they see you do something that they know they didn't deserve? It's an image of what Christ has done for you because he paid it all when we didn't deserve it. Godliness is when you do the thing that Jesus would do. And there's plenty of bracelets about that, so let's move on. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Uh, there's some things that you do. You think of benefiting other people when they're not even thinking about you at all. You want to bless them. You want to do something for them just because it's a Tuesday. You're just being kind to them in general. You're trying to be a blessing. And then finally, after brotherly kindness, you get full-blown love. You care for people. Genuine. Verse 8. says, For these things be in you and abound they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. 
This is how you become a fruitful Christian. And it's fine to come to church and to celebrate Jesus' birth, but you understand that he died so that you could be adopted as a child of God. And through that adoption process, he started something new in you. He's made you a new creature. And, and he's trying to conform you to the image of Christ. And you've got to work through these different levels of discipleship to get to where you genuinely love people. How many of you have ever been fake loved by somebody? They don't know you. They don't care about you. And yet they're like, here, here's a gift. And you look at that gift and think to yourself, if you knew me at all, you would know that I hate this. <laughs> You're just one of those things where people have fake loved you. They put on that they love you, but you know that they can't love you yet because they don't know you yet. They're trying, but it's not genuine. There are lots of people that call themselves Christians, and they're trying, but they haven't made it to the end of this list. They really struggle with being kind to their brothers and sisters in Christ, much less loving them. So I don't want you to be barren or unfruitful in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 9, it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So uh, you've been in church with a lot of people that didn't act like Christians. You, you've been there. I know you have because I've... I've been pastoring churches for 20 years, and there are lots of people that show up in church that haven't worked through discipleship. There's good news. You can work through it. It's going to take a lot of effort on your part, but it's really the only thing that matters in life because it's the only thing that lasts beyond this life. So it's worth every sacrifice that you, you would ever make to be a disciple of Christ. But let me help you to understand that becoming a Christian is not just a one-and-done thing. It's a, God, I want to be saved. Please save me from my sin. And help me to live for you from here on out. And my job as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, is to help people grow in discipleship and understand these things. Because until you know that you need to grow, a lot of people don't look for the things to help them get beyond just being saved. So, you've been purged from your old sins. Verse 10, Wherefore, the rather... Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. That's what this whole psalm is about, helping you not to fall down. I've got toddlers in my house. Why do they call them toddlers? They're very wobbly. And if you accidentally bump into one of them and make them fall down, do you know what they do? They don't say, oh, excuse me, I was in your way. Please forgive me. That's not what a toddler does. You bump into a toddler and they go, Yay! It's your fault. You hurt me. I've seen that a lot in church. There's a lot of toddling Christians. They get their feelings hurt real easy. One of them picked up a shoe and ran off with it and my uh, teenager bopped him on the head and said, Give me that back. And you would have thought that she'd have cut his head clean off. I mean, he just cried and cried and cried because he got in trouble for being a brat. Churches are full of brats. They're born again believers. But they look at this list and instead of working through it, they say, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I've got the grace of God, and I'm going to use that to go out and do whatever I want to do. And I've seen plenty of adults that walk around that have never been disciplined by anybody. And they act like grown toddlers. You've experienced that probably in the last week or so with Christmas and people getting out that don't normally get out. I don't know where they stay normally. But, I mean, goodness gracious, they're all out in droves and, and they're all out there together, fussing, fighting, cussing each other, acting like children. My desire for Calvary Baptist Church through all of the stump the preachers and all of the long sermons and all the things that I've tried to teach you over the last eight years is that you would be a mature believer. And I have seen you grow. I've seen you grow.
Verse 11, it says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for you to just barely skirt into heaven smelling like the flames of hell. I want you to have an abundant entrance into his kingdom. I want you to be so fruitful that it'll take extra angels. I mean, I just to carry the load. That you need help taking that crown off your head because it's too heavy to do it alone. So that you can cast it at the feet of Jesus. I don't want you to have some little tiara that you can just toss gently. I want it to be a struggle to lift it off your head. What does it take? The drive, the passion, the ambition, everything that you would spend on a job, on a relationship, on your children, on everything else in this world, you take all that and you ball it up and you put it all towards your relationship with Christ. Every bit of it. You seek after His kingdom and His righteousness above everything else and He will add all that other stuff to you in the process. Trust me, I know. He's given me more than I can stand sometimes. Because as I lose one thing after another, we were standing in my kitchen this morning. My wife said, I'm going to miss this kitchen. I said, who knows that the Lord will not give you something bigger and better than what we're leaving. We have no clue. But ultimately, we know that every sacrifice that we make in order to follow him is worth it. It's worth it. How is it worth it? You're looking at someone. How could you leave me, Pastor? Because God taught me to leave things a long time ago when I had to leave my dad's body in a cemetery. And He taught me to leave things a long time ago when I had to leave my son just feet from my dad's body in that same cemetery. And I've got a tombstone over there with my name on it just waiting for me to lay down in between them or somewhere around them. And I will leave everything for that baby that was placed in a manger. Because he grew up and he hung on my cross in my place so that I could have not only have life, but have an abundant life. I probably would have quit with just three kids, but now I've got six. That's double. That's just like Job, right? <laughs> just double. What I am doing is everything that I've preached to you for eight years. Do I always understand what I'm doing? No. No. My kids don't always understand what I ask them to do. Go do this. They, they think of their own things to do on the way. And I have to get on to them. You're, you're taking a detour. I need you to come back to what I've asked you to do. Lots of detours in life. But let me tell you, everything that you do for him, it lasts forever. And it's worth it. If you're in this room and you've never been saved and you're on your way to hell, you need to get saved today. I wouldn't wait. I mean, Jesus could come back any minute, minute but uh, this road is dangerous. I mean, it's just people with nuts out there. You're not guaranteed to make it home. So if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, saying you need to be born again, come talk to me before you leave today. Whether it's during this invitation or after and everybody's walking around talking, and I'll tell you how to be born again. God, I thank you for the sacrifice that you made and humbling yourself and coming to this earth and being placed in a manger. Lord, we know you didn't stay there. You grew up and you were baptized by John the Baptist. Then you went around for 
about three years teaching people and doing miracles and showing them exactly who you were, and they killed you for it. I couldn't stand your perfection. I couldn't stand your holiness. I couldn't stand to be held accountable for their sin. So they wanted to wipe you out. But you were truly the Son of God, and on the third day, you rose from the grave. You encountered these disciples who were weak-willed, and you made them as bold as lions so that they could go and do your work. And they went from hiding in the upper room to, to preaching out in public and being publicly flogged and, and imprisoned and even sacrificing their own lives because they, they realized that this story was not only real, but they realized the true value in being a disciple of Christ. It's the only place where we can find the words of life. And then you ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in each and every born-again believer so that we could tabernacle with you with our sins covered up we could worship you in spirit and in truth and know and do your will on a daily basis. And your Holy Spirit makes us so fruitful if we don't quench or grieve you. Lord, help us to dedicate our way to you. To put off the old person. To put on the righteousness of Christ. And to ascend to the hill of the Lord. Jesus, in my life. Amen.